Hey, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and our venue as well. Who's ready for freedom this morning, right? We're just at a point in our church where we're going through a series where we're saying enough with bondage, enough with slavery. We want to be free in Jesus Christ. And we're in a series called Set Free. We're going through the book of Galatians, which is all about freedom in Christ, a freedom that's greater than political freedom, a freedom that's greater than financial freedom. It is true freedom a freedom that's found in Jesus. And so we started off the book two weeks ago looking at the fact that Jesus came to deliver. That's at the heart of the gospel. Jesus came to deliver us from the present evil age. And then last week, we looked at an area that a lot of people are in bondage to, and that's pleasing others. Anybody blessed by last week? Like, hello, I needed that. I got a lot of emails this week, good emails, all right? Uh, And uh, I just wanted to share one. This represents several uh, that I received, but it really gets to the heart at what we're, we're going after this series. It said, I have been a people pleaser all my life and have nearly worn myself out doing so. Anybody been there? Last week was liberating. It was freeing. And I now pray for God to free me from this sin and allow me to be content playing for His glory. That's what we're after, man. We're after freedom. We don't want to just know about freedom. We want to experience true freedom that's in Jesus. Well, this morning, we're going to look at another issue that holds many of us, if not all of us in some way, in bondage, and we want to be set free. So let's pick up in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13. I'm going to invite you, if you're able, in all of our locations to please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. And let's pick up here Galatians 1, beginning at verse 13. It says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, how I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But... When he, that is, but when God, who set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Pray for me, please, and pray for our time together that God would come and do a mighty work. Let's pray. Father, I believe with all my heart that this freedom is real. That this is a freedom you want for us to live in and know and experience today. And I don't have the power to set anybody free, but you do. 
So come this morning by your spirit and speak to us through your word and set captives free. All to the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. He was one of the better professional baseball players to play the game, but he will never be remembered for that. His career started in about 1969 with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Over the next 22 years, uh, he's going to accumulate about 2,700 hits. Uh, His career batting average will end at about 300, which is phenomenal. Uh, He'll win a National League batting title. He'll play in an all-star game, a career that by all estimations is honorable. It's respectable. It's a great career. But he won't be remembered for any of those achievements. He will forever be remembered for this. So the winning run is at second base with two out, three and two to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first, behind the bag, it gets through Buckner. That's the legacy of Bill Buckner. Some of you will remember, it was the 1986 World Series, Boston against the Mets. Uh, Boston had a history of blowing these opportunities, the curse of the Bambino, and it, they're leading the series three to two. They're in game six. They've got a two-point lead. It's the 10th inning. They can almost taste the, the World Series championship, and then the Mets come back and tie. Mookie Wilson steps up to the plate. He hits this easy ground ball. All Bill Buckner has to do is just scoop it up and step on the bag, and the inning will be over. But as you just saw, Bill Buckner pulled a Buckner. And the Mets will win the game and eventually win the series. Now, I share that story with you for this very reason. That failure has forever followed Bill Buckner's life. In fact, when you even mention the name Bill Buckner to anybody that knows much about sports, listen, they immediately identify him with the failure in his past. Now, as unfortunate as that may be, the reality is that's something a lot of us struggle with. It may not make the nightly news. They may not show highlights of it, or at least I hope not, but it still haunts us just the same, doesn't it? Those words you will never be able to take back. The abortion that you will never be able to undo. The divorce that you are not able to restore. The abuse that you can't erase. The college years that you don't remember. (laughs) The accident that you can't forget. And one that I hear a lot as a pastor, all those years that you wasted in church just playing a game. 
Do you know how many times I hear, if I could just go back 20 years, listen, faith family, I don't know everything there is to know about you, but I know this about you. There is likely a skeleton in the closet of your past that you would love to bury once and for all. You feel like David in Psalm 38 verse 4 when he writes, my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. You're like that U2 song entitled, Stuck in a Moment. You feel stuck because of that moment or that series of moments, those moments that have shaped the way you view your life, they have shaped your worldview, they have shaped your relationships and how they're functioning today, and they hold you in bondage. Look at me, Faith Family, Lakeville Venue. This morning, it is time to be free. This morning, it is time to be set free from your past. That's exactly what Paul shares about his life in Galatians chapter 1. Look at it in verse 13. Paul says, For you have heard of my, underline this, former life. My former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, Paul is continuing to do two things here so that we understand the context. One is authenticate his apostleship. And two is to demonstrate that the gospel is not from man. The gospel is from God. It is revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, he does that by sharing his testimony, by talking about the transformation that took place in his life, and he starts with his former life, the life that he had in Judaism. Now, if you've been around church for very long or or for even just a little while, you know Paul had a very, very bad life. His former life was not a pretty one. He was from Tarsus, uh, which was north of Jerusalem, a a very cosmopolitan town. Uh, He's a Pharisee. Uh, He studies under a man by the name of Gamaliel. Uh, To kind of bring that into today's, you know, idea, it's like taking guitar lessons from Jimi Hendrix, okay? Or like art lessons from Picasso. He is studying with the best of the best, and he's not just a good student, he's valedictorian. He is the top of the class, Pharisee of Pharisees, and when Christianity starts to spread, Jews are being converted to to Christianity, and he thinks that's blasphemy. According to Deuteronomy, anybody that is hung on a tree is cursed. And so any movement whose leader is a crucified man ought to be shut down. And Paul gives his life to do that very thing with intensity. In Galatians 1, he says, violently, he tried to destroy Christianity. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he calls himself an insolent opponent. That is a violent aggressor. In Acts chapter 8, it says that he approved of executions. He ravaged the church. He threw Christians into prison. 
Acts chapter 9, he breathed threats and murder against Christians. Josephus even said that this included the burning of villages. My point right here, he's a bad, bad man. He is to Christians what Ted Bundy was to women. What an Islamic jihadist is to Christians even today. He wouldn't hurt your precious little Christian feelings on social media, bless your heart. He would drag you out of your home along with your family and throw you in prison or worse. That was his former life. And the danger of even describing it that way is that I know what some of you are thinking, scary as that may be, is you're saying, well, I'm not that bad. How many of you show of hands burn villages on your way to church this morning? <laughs> okay, just two of you. All right, that's, that's all right. So but you, but you would be like, man, when I hear that guy's background and past, I would say I'm not that bad. But here's what you've got to understand, and I really need you to listen to this because this is important. What made Paul's past so bad is not what he did, but why he did it. Follow me. Now, I'm not justifying what he did, but I'm saying there's a core as to why he did what he did. Do you remember when he's on the road to Damascus and Jesus interrupts his life, do you remember what Jesus said to him? He says, Paul or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? Is that what he said? It's not what he said. What did he say? Why are you persecuting me? In other words, that gets to the core of his rebellion. Namely, the issue right here, the issue is not that he is for persecuting Christians. The issue is that he is against Christ. So the question for us is not, am I as bad as Saul? The question is, am I against Jesus? And that's a former life we've all had. Amen? And for some of you, that former life is your current life. You are living today in opposition to Jesus Christ. And you may not do the things that Paul did, but you have the life Paul had. All of us have. But boy, do I have good news if you have a former life. Verse 15. Oh, best three words. This is going to get me fired up. But when God... Stop right there. Those are awesome three words. Right? It's like Ephesians 2. You are dead in your trespasses, but God... It's almost like enough said, right? This was my former life. This is what I was doing in Judaism. This was all the uh, opposition I had to Jesus. But when God, anybody have a but when God testimony in your life this morning, right? I was headed in that direction, but God, God did something. God showed up. What did he do? Paul says, he set me apart before I was born. He called me by his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In other words, Paul moves from his former life to now giving testimony to the work of God's sovereign grace. 
God intervened. God interrupted my life and messed me up with grace. God appeared and it was sovereign grace. He just, he just came and did a work and I'm just amazed by, by his grace in my life and seeing him for who he is. Let's go back and look at how that happened in Paul's life. Uh, uh, Acts chapter 9. Uh, you can turn in your app or follow on the screen or turn in your Bibles. Acts 9 and verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But arise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now, three things I want to show you there just very quickly from Paul's conversion that takes him from his former life to his new life. Number one is his sin gets exposed. His sin gets exposed. Why are you persecuting me? What Paul realizes, and I hope that some of you will have a Damascus moment right now or here this morning, that your sin will be exposed for who you are. Paul realizes that he is living in opposition to Jesus, that his life is going in an opposite direction than how God would have him live. Number two is surrender is then expressed. He cries out, Lord, Lord. In other words, Paul had been living life his own way, and now he sees Jesus as Lord. In fact, in Acts chapter 26, when Paul will give his testimony again, He'll mention that Jesus says here, why are you kicking against the goads, right? Any of you seen a goad lately? Probably not something you're familiar with. A goad is what they would put on oxen to kind of uh, uh, use for farming. And uh, kicking against the goad was the idea of stop leading me. I don't want to go the way you want me to go. I want to go my way. And that's how Paul was living. But when he encounters Jesus and grace interrupts his life, his response is, I don't want to be Lord anymore. Lord, you are Lord. And he surrenders. But then notice thirdly that grace is experienced. You say, where is grace at in this passage? Well, Jesus says, take him until I tell him what he's going to do. In other words, Jesus doesn't destroy Paul the way Paul had destroyed Christians. To put it in language you're familiar with, Paul doesn't get what Paul deserves. Now, I've said this before, it's worth repeating, that if you mess with my children, I view that as God calling me to prison ministry, right? You've heard me say this before. <laughs> you mess with my kids, I assume that God wants me to spend the rest of my life doing ministry in jail, right? Now, I'm saying that sarcastically. My point is, Paul's been killing God's kids, in our mind, fairness is, all right, then I'm going to destroy you the way you're destroying others. Aren't you glad God doesn't think the way we think? Aren't you glad grace isn't fair? Aren't you glad that people like Paul, people like us, don't get what they deserve? And Paul will never get over this. I'm never going to let you get over it either. In every letter he writes, it is grace, 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 because at the core of the gospel is transforming grace. I'm here to declare to you this morning this, our God is a God that turns former lives into changed lives. Stop for just a minute, right where you are, Lakeville venue, everybody, if you're a Christian today, stop and give glory 
to the grace of God in your life. You have a former life, but He gave you a changed life. His grace came in. Think of where you'd be. Think of what all you had done if Jesus had not come in. Praise Him. Praise Him. Yeah, praise Him. That's fantastic. It is why, it is why we eat, drink, sleep, and breathe this vision. We exist to see our lives, our community, and our world transformed by the power of the gospel because the gospel has the power to change our life forever. Jot this down. Jot this down. Every saint has a past, but every sinner can have a future. Oh, preach, preacher. Every saint has a past, and every sinner can have a future. Church history is full of it. Let me give you just a couple examples. Augustine was a sex addict. One day he is approached by one of his former mistresses. She starts to seduce him. Augustine starts to walk away. She cries out to him, Augustine, it is I. And he responds, yes, but it is not I. John Newton, writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, was a former slave trader. He struggled with that past after he became a Christian. It was out of that that he wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was lost, was blind, but now I see. I've shared with you before that in his journal, right before he died, he wrote this. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I one day will be. But I am not what I was. And it's by the grace of God I am what I am. Like in the song, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because this sinless Savior died, my guilty soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Oh, faith family, aren't you glad this morning that sovereign grace is greater than your sin? That our God takes a former life and changes it forever. But Paul's testimony doesn't end there and neither does yours. Notice what happens in verse 21. Paul says, Galatians 1, Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Um, you know what? I'm convinced God has a sense of humor. Anybody with me on that? I just, I'm convinced God has a sense of humor. Uh, and I think that verse proves it. I mean, notice that verse again, that he's preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. In other words, if you'll give me a little bit of exegetical freedom here, here's what I, I think the conversation uh, looked like in heaven. Oh, 
So you want to be the primary figure to destroy Christianity. How about I make you the primary figure of advancing Christianity? How do you like them apples, Paul? <laughs> I mean, isn't that amazing? Like the guy who wants to stamp it out is now going to be changed and become committed to the very mission he wanted to end. That's our God. I just, I wonder if God just laughed. Look at him. He thought he's going that way and I messed him up. He's going that way. All right. <laughs> now there are implications of that, that I really want you to think about. One is obvious. It's this. God saves you in order to use you. Hello. I know that's deep. I'm glad you're sitting down, but God doesn't save you just to be saved. He saves you to use you. Uh, the verses that we often quote in Ephesians 2, we tend to skip verse 10. So let's start Ephesians 2 verse 8. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. We know that. It's not of your own doing. Amen. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Yes. Then next verse. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Say it. Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He didn't save you to sit. He saved you to serve. God saved you because He wants to use you, which means, now I'm really going to get fired up because this is what some of you need to hear this morning. You're here for this very point, number two. Past failure does not prevent future fruitfulness. Preach, preacher. Paul doesn't let his past paralyze his future. There are two mindsets that you can have as it relates to your past in light of what Jesus has done by his grace. Are you ready? Here's the first one. I hear it all the time. Well, God just can't use me because you don't know what I've done. You ever heard people say that? Have you ever thought that? Pastor, you don't know what's in my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I've said or, or whatever. God can't use me. Friend, that's slavery. Here's the second mindset. Think about this. He wants to use what I've done so that others will glorify him for what he did in me. That's freedom. Isn't that what Paul says in verse 24? And they glorified me because of me? No. They glorified God because of me. In other words, God took my past and used it for future ministry. Oh, brother and sister, I want you to be free this morning to stop letting your past paralyze you to ministry. God wants to use your life for his purpose and mission. But that means you're going to have to embrace what he's done in your life. You're going to have to get over your selfish pride that thinks you know better than God. Because if God has said it's finished, it's finished. Brother, sister, accept it and live for him and how he wants to use you. Amen? The flow of the text is this. God takes former lives, we all have one, makes them changed lives by his grace to become committed lives to God and his purposes. That's the flow of the text. Former lives become changed lives and committed lives to his purposes. Now, what does this mean for us? I, I want to close this morning by saying, what are the implications of this freedom for us so that we can actually move from knowing it to experiencing it? What does this look like? Now, 
Before I give you those, let me say this. I need everybody listening. Lakeville venue. If you don't know Jesus this morning, your first step to freedom is repenting of your sin and crying out like Paul did on the road to Damascus, Lord, Lord, I surrender. I'm not going to kick against the goads anymore. I'm not going to live my life my way anymore. I surrender all. That's the first step of freedom. And some of you don't have a former life because your former life is your current life, and freedom starts when you surrender to Jesus. Now, for those of you that have surrendered to Jesus and you know Christ is your Savior, but you're not living in this freedom and you say, what does this look like for me? Let me give you four quick things to write down. Four implications of the freedom we find in this passage. Number one is this. It means we need to stop running from our past. Stop running from our past. You see, some of you are switching jobs, moving towns, changing relationships in hopes that your past will go away. But that's not how it works. Paul doesn't ignore his past. In fact, Paul brings his past up frequently. In almost every letter, he mentions his past. He's not afraid to address it. Why? Jot this down. Being free does not mean trying to forget. It means accepting that it's finished. Amen? In other words, here's what I'm trying to ask. Some of you are like, if I could just forget it, if I could just forget it, if I could just... You're not going to forget it. Freedom isn't forgetting. Freedom is forgiveness. And when you've experienced God's forgiving grace... You don't have to try to ignore it anymore. You can, like Paul, stop running and embrace what he's done. Oh, how that would set some of us free. Here's the second thing. is not just running from your past, but stop covering up your past. I see this all the time, both in my life and in others that I talk to. In other words, you try to bury your past under busyness. Or a new hobby. Or here's a big one, morality. You're like a dog. This is what you look like in your life. You're like a dog trying to bury the bone. And you're just digging, 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 trying to cover it up in some way. And I'm using that language specifically because you know that word covering is the same word for atonement. In other words, your covering is a, is a way of trying to atone for what you've done. Here's what happened in my past, and if I can do enough now and in the future, maybe I can atone for what I've done. That's slavery, folks. That's bondage, because you're never going to be able to atone for your sin. Jesus did that. Jesus was the final and ultimate sacrifice, so you don't have to cover it up anymore. Here's a third thing, is stop continuing in your past. Stop continuing. Here's what I mean. Is it goes like this, and I hear this a lot. Since I've already done it before, I'll do it again. Do you see? You're like a dog returning to its vomit. Like, that's gross. No, actually, that's Proverbs. You just keep going back and back and back because you're justifying in your mind, it's already happened, I've already done it, I might as well go back to it. That's slavery. That's bondage. 
You are not going to be free if you keep justifying your present sin because of what you've done in the past. Here's the fourth thing, is stop living in the past. Stop living in the past. It's the idea of realizing who you are, that you're not that anymore. And I'm going to illustrate this this morning in a way that will probably split our church. I will probably get more negative emails (laughs) over this illustration of anything I've ever done. Oh, it's officially on right about now. And I I struggled with this illustration because I thought, you know, surely our faith family has the maturity to put their emotions aside. Surely, all right? And uh, so uh, I do this because this is an illustration that I know everybody in this area gets, but I do need you to put your emotions aside for a minute and really see the illustration, okay? And I'm serious about that because if you'll really get this in an illustrated form, it's going to have profound impact on your life. One of the most popular athletes in the Midwest is Brett Favre. Love him, hate him, whatever your thoughts are about him, there's no doubt that he's a popular athlete in this area. And as most of you know, for 16 years of Brett Favre's life, he was a Packer. Now, what that means is for 16 years, all he knew was a Packer playbook, a a Packer teammates, Packer coaches. Uh, All he knew was Lambeau Field. That's all he knew for 16 years. But then, as you well know, something happened to Brett Favre, right? Now, I'm not going to say that he got converted, all right? I'm not, I'm not going to say that. Some of you would like for me to say that. But what happened is Brett Favre all of a sudden had a new identity. He was now some of your beloved Minnesota Vikings, And what that meant, now follow me again, please put your emotions for a side, be mature about this for just a moment, just a moment, you can go back to immaturity later, Uh, but for just a moment, think about this, what it means now that he has this new identity is everything is now new. He has new teammates, new coaches, a new playbook, he plays in a new stadium, Everything is now new because of this new identity. And when Brett Favre was interviewed as to what it would be like for him to go back into Lambeau Field, this is what he said. Quote, there is a mixture of emotions and understandably so. I accomplished so much there and you can't take that away. Now listen, it will definitely be a new experience for me. In other words, all I've ever known is being a Packer. I don't know what it's like, the experience of now walking into Lambeau Field with a different identity. Hear me, faith family. You used to be dead. You used to be a slave. You were separated from Christ. You were a sinner by nature. But that's not who you are anymore. 
You are loved by God. You are forgiven of sin. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are chosen. You've been delivered from darkness. You're seatedly in the heavenly places. You've been justified, sealed by the Spirit. You have the mind of Christ. You're a new creation. You have been adopted into the family of God. And if you want to live free, you're going to have to stop living based on who you were and live based on your new identity in Christ. Stop living in the past for some of you for 16 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, whatever it is. All you've known is slavery. It's time to stop living in that because it's not who you are anymore. Jesus has taken your former life and changed it forever. You have a new identity in Christ. Amen? Amen. That's what it means to be free, to start living in that new reality. I'll close with this. I heard a young man share a testimony about his grandfather. His grandfather was a well-known music minister in the Midwest. He would go around doing concerts and things like that and He passed away. And the family got together and they were sharing stories about the grandfather and the legacy that he lived, the ministry he had, the impact on lives that uh, God had done through him. And they finished sharing and the grandson was given the opportunity to go through the home and pick out things he wanted to keep, which is a a common thing. And he went into his grandfather's basement And as he was looking around, he discovered his grandfather's porn collection. And he was shocked at first. But then it hit him. He had always wondered why when his grandfather did the song, Come Thou Fount, and would come to the lyrics that said, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Every time his grandfather would just start to weep. He said, I always wondered why, but now I know. And then he said this, the reason why my grandfather never told anybody about his struggle was because in our church, Christians weren't allowed to have basements. I don't know everything there is to know about you. But I know this about you. There is likely a skeleton in the closet of your past you would love to bury once and for all. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that 2,000 years ago, our past was buried. And three days later, our future walked out of a grave. And what that means, faith family, is that our past does not define us. Jesus does. And if the Son has set you free, you are free. Indeed. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Pray with me.
Father, thank you for this truth. What a powerful chapter of Galatians 1. And this freedom is something that we need to just not know about. It's something we need to experience and live out. Because when I read Galatians 1, I sense in Paul that, that not that he is perfect, but he has found freedom. And oh, how I want that for us. So Spirit, come and work, come and move, come and work in our hearts right now. There are some in this room, they don't have freedom because they don't know Jesus. And their first step this morning is the freedom that comes in salvation of repenting of their sin, turning from that, saying, I don't want to be Lord anymore, and I surrender to Jesus as Lord. Others in this room, they, they're Christians and they know about freedom, but they've not been experiencing that. Oh, that you would come and set us free from our past. Whatever moment or moments that we find ourselves stuck in, oh, that you would come and interrupt by your grace and set us free. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.